Hey everyone, this is Mike Paterno, and I want to welcome you to Mostly Unseen with Jeff Boucher. Thanks for joining us. We're happy to have you with us today. Jeff is the pastor of Mill Pond Church. I want to let you know that any of these segments from our podcast will be accessible through our website at millpondchurchny.com. We have a great topic for you today. With me, as always, is our host, Pastor Jeff Boucher. Welcome, Jeff. Hey, Mike. Good to be with you. And uh, very excited about our subject tonight. Definitely. Um, we are continuing in kind of the series about Jesus. Who mm-hmm. is Jesus? And how could you do a series, you know, on him, on Jesus himself, without including some of the parables, mm. right? So I, I chose for tonight uh, the parable of the mustard seed. And we want to talk about that a little bit. Um, we're going to look at the version. It's in a couple of the Gospels. We're going to look at the one in Matthew and Matthew chapter 13, verse 31 to 32. So it's very short, mm. but there's a lot to this parable, believe it or not. And we're going to kind of connect some dots. Now, first thing we want to know, because we're talking about Jesus and what he's like, he was the consummate teacher. He was the, the common man's man. Mm-hmm. The common man's rabbi. He made things that were complex, simple. He used everything around him, all of his surroundings, to teach. So he just came off the parable of the sower. And that's a, a really great mm, one. Many definitely. people are familiar with that. And if you're not, that's okay. You can dive in there and look at it. It's also in Matthew, in the, you know, verse 1. It starts with the parable of the sower. But here's the kind of thing that Jesus did. He taught out in the open air. So you can actually sit and imagine him looking over, seeing a guy, remember the old Johnny Appleseed, right? (laughs) With a sack, right? So a regular common farmer, just a sack of seed, Mm. broadcasting it, sticking his hand in and just broadcasting the, the seed. And so he used that to tell a parable. Now, a parable I like to kind of define as a earthly story with a heavenly meaning Mm. or with a spiritual application, whatever you want to say there. And so the parable of the soils we'll talk about another time, uh, so we're rather, um, and it talks about four soils, Mm -hmm. and those soils are actually conditions of the heart, Mm. right? The seed is actually the word of God Mm -hmm. in that. And so that was the application in that particular parable. He goes on to talk about the parable of the the weed, um, the weeds among the uh, the tear, or mm-hmm. sorry, the tares among the wheat, and so that one was really an example of Satan working, you know, while while Christ is working and trying to undo mm. or snuff out the great things that he's doing, and we'll we'll talk about those in another time. So all of a sudden, you know, he's on to the parable of the mustard seed. And so why don't you read that for us and then we'll dive right in. Definitely a great one. And you're right. Short, but great. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds may come and perch in its branches. All right. Now, in the parable of the sower, there were four soils, but only one of them produced fruit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if you're looking at that, it's you can imagine the disciples being a little bit discouraged. So, wait a minute. Are you telling me that, like, all the people that, that are reflected in those four soils, right? So, the first soil was, like, the beaten down path, mm-hmm. and the word falls on it, and Stolen bird right comes away. and snatches. Yeah. It's that Satan snatching it before it can take root. You know, then it's among the rocky soil, but the riches, uh, sorry, the persecutions arise and it it just squelches it. And then the one where it's growing, um, but the indigenous weeds choke it out. So it looks like it's going to produce fruit, but it never produces the fruit. Mm -hmm. And that's like the cares of this world, the worries, the the riches kind of choke it out and, you know, that's it. And then on the one good soil, it, it grows, it flourishes, it produces sometimes 30-fold, meaning 30 times what it was, 60 times, and 100 times, mm-hmm. right? That's the, you know, the, the quick picture. We'll talk about that some sometime. And that's fine. But then he goes on to the parable of the wheat and the tares. And that's where they learned that Satan would be doing his best to undermine the efforts of the sower. 
So you got to imagine the disciples thinking, we're following the Messiah. You know, Jesus is the rock. We're going to, you know, he, he he's doing these miracles. But now he's telling us that a lot of the work that is being done will come to nothing. No fruit will be produced. So it's got to be pretty discouraging, mm. you know, in there. And, and I imagine it would have been, right? And even as early as one of the church fathers, uh, Chrysostom, in uh, 349-ish, mm-hmm. born to 407-ish, um, I think it was 407, pretty solid there. But commentators have suggested that the next two parables in Matthew, um, the one we're looking at, were told by Jesus to encourage the disciples in reference to the kingdom. So Jesus ushers in a new era, and it's the era of God's kingdom on earth. And he tells, you know, you hear him saying this all the time, the kingdom of God is in your midst, Mm. right? The kingdom of God has come. In the Lord's Prayer, think about the command in the Lord's Prayer. One of the lines in there, thy Thy kingdom kingdom come, come, thy will be done. Thy will be done. And that's really an intercessory part of that prayer. You're praying heaven to earth. Mm. Thy kingdom, because the kingdom is here. Where's the kingdom? It's well, it's in the Holy Spirit, which lives, which dwells in the believers. So the kingdom is inside us. It's in every believer. Where do believers go? We go well. We go out in the earth and spread hopefully good seed, right? right? But we're all even doing commerce, right? Doing business. We're out all over the place, and if we carry Christ with us, the kingdom of God is advancing everywhere, or mm. it should be. And that's a key. It, 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 it should be. So here he's going to tell them uh, about this parable of the mustard seed. And you just read it. And the second parable, which is just like it, is the parable of the leaven. Mm-hmm. So read that for us. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through the whole dough. Now. These are common elements. Mm-hmm. Leaven was used in all the bread, except when they were making what? Matzo. Unleavened bread. Right. <laughs> right? And, and they were doing, you know, holidays, Passover, right? Um, different things. So they wouldn't put leaven in the bread. But leaven, we know, everybody knows. Every kid would have known. Mm-hmm. You make your own bread. They, that's what they did back then, right? So you'd have leaven, and the leaven caused the bread to what? To rise. To rise. And if you threw a little bit of leaven in, in one spot, somehow, mm. it worked its way all through. The leaven found a way to, mm-hmm. to get through the, the loaf, right? So Jesus is going to give them. These two parables are sister parables. And this is really encouraging. So he says, you know, when he's looking at this, both of these parables appear to describe the kingdom as destined for remarkable growth. Okay? Now, we know that the history of israel and if you're listening and you don't know it two thousand years before christ god he called abraham abraham was the father of the jewish nation and he had nobody he had no kids but god promised him children right offspring so promised him that promised him a land so i would call israel the promised land Mm -hmm. and he promised him to be that he would be a blessing to all Mm -hmm. the nations and so in doing this and coming down and and so forth comes down through the years they go to egypt they, they're enslaved they come out of egypt under moses about 600 700 years after abraham and when they come out under moses they are a million and a half mm-hmm. two million people and they grew mm-hmm. it was amazing <laughs> so god is leading them out they're going to go into the promised land now they're coming out to worship all these miracles taking place then Hundreds of years later, about a thousand AD, King Saul comes on the scene. So Israel gets their first king. King David rises, and King David gives them the greatest territorial gains mm. um, from the time from at, at any point in history. And David was considered the best king. And, and who, you know, look at this guy. He was like a warrior king. He was a poet, a songwriter, mm-hmm. a musician. He was. You know, emotional. He was tough. He was. He took down Goliath at right, 16, right, yeah, 18 yeah. years old. He was just a man's man, and just right followed God. And so David was was the quintessential 
picture of, of a king. So they knew that Messiah would come and, and reign again, but Israel sinned. They lost their kingdom. They went into exile. First the northern kingdom, then the southern kingdom. Mm -hmm. I mean, it went back and forth. It gets convoluted in there. Yeah, yeah. They come back. They get restored. They get destroyed again, right? So it never could get out of that region. But God prophesied that he had other plans. Mm -hmm. He had sheep of a fold that were not of the same fold as Israel, the mm -hmm. Jews. Well, that's the Gentiles. And he would bring them together and make them one people. And so that's what's going on here. And then Jesus dies, right? A little bit later on, and all seems lost. This is when the parables that we're looking at would have come to mind. Mm -hmm. And we're going to kind of unfold this a little bit. So thoughts, questions, anything at all, comments? No, it's awesome. And it just, right? You think like, though, the disciples must have been so distraught. And yet, right, Jesus said, like, um, wheat will never produce until the head dies and the grain falls into the ground, right? And then grows. Yeah, something's so, got to die. It's got to die first. Mm -hmm. So that, that kernel goes into the ground and dies, if you will, comes off the, the live bush, dies, and then rebirths and produces 30 times, 60 times, or 100 times what, it was in the size oh, yeah. of the kernel, right? Oh, yeah. So, so really cool stuff. So let's let's kind of pull this apart a little bit. So both of these parables kind of describe the kingdom as being destined for remarkable growth. Hmm. Through this parable, Jesus explained that his kingdom would have small beginnings. Indeed, it, it began with Jesus alone, and upon his ascension. It was left in the care of just 12 men and actually 11 because Judas <laughs> they had to find another 12, right? right. <laughs> they had to replace him. So thinking about this, he replaced, they replaced Judas. So it's 12 people. And then it had a couple of hundred other followers, you know, all over the place. Jesus compared this beginning of the kingdom to a mustard seed, which is the smallest seed that a farmer used. Mm. Wasn't the smallest seed. A lot of people will say, see, the Bible's wrong. You know, it's not the smallest seed in existence. No, it, it it's not the smallest seed in existence, but he didn't claim it was. He just said it's a small seed. And we know that it was the smallest one the farmers used. used. Right? And it's still small. Very Don't, small. It's very small. The mustard seed was so small that it would take almost 20,000 seeds to make an ounce. Think about that. Yeah. Right? In, in weight. So it was tiny. It was nothing. And modern, you know, critics, like I said, would point out that, you know, it's not the smallest seed, but it is for what we're looking at. It wasn't a scientific statement that Jesus was making, right? And what he was trying to say is that no other seed so small produced such a large plant or literally shrub wasn't a tree per se but it would grow sometimes up to 15 feet tall yeah so yeah. it would look like a tree yeah and toward the end of its season it would get a firm so birds would come and nest in the branches and and so forth so <clears throat> well not technically a tree she's using a little bit of hyperbole there um and what he was doing is stressing both the insignificance the smallest and the magnificence the largest bush tree of his kingdom, right? Of the kingdom. And his point was that just as a tiny seed will grow into the largest of garden plants, so God's kingdom will produce many people who truly believe. Mm. And it would grow. So it's it's tempting to deal with both of these parables in one swoop, but I, I, I'm not going to do that. Um, we're going to give each one its own undivided attention. So we're going to look at the parable of the mustard seed. Let's talk about the mustard seed for a moment. The mustard plant is well known around the world, even today, for its hot flavored seeds, right? Among the seeds sown in a garden, it was generally the smallest. That's That was a common uh, understanding. As a plant, it reached 10 and sometimes 15 feet in height. So that's 
That's from big. the size of that seed yeah. to the size of the plant, it was incredible. In the fall, as I mentioned, its branches become a little bit more rigid, and the plant often serves as a shelter for birds of many kinds. So it kind of brings something to to the birds, mm. to the surroundings. Proverbial uses of of the mustard seed. Um, it was used frequently to describe anything that is small in its beginnings, not just the kingdom of God. Mm. And Jesus used it on another occasion, occasion to describe faith. In fact, take a look at Matthew 17, 20. And while you're looking that up, I'm going to, you know, tell you what the Quran says. The Quran reads, O oh, my son, every matter, though it be of the weight of a grain of a mustard seed, right? And then it goes on. So what it was saying is it might be small, but mm -hmm. it's a, it could be a big matter. Mm -hmm. Now, with this understanding of the mustard plant and its seeds, we might be able to appreciate the meaning of the parable itself. So I want to read it one more time in case people are not looking at their, their Bible. So if you have that in front of you, mm -hmm. go ahead and read it. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that birds may come and perch in its branches. Okay, and back up to Matthew 17, 20, mm -hmm. because it's another example of the mustard seed. Mm. What's it say? Yeah, he says, he replied, Jesus, because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible to you. You know, I want to give you a couple of examples, a couple of personal stories here. Because this parable meant an awful lot to me over the years. And here's why. When I was finishing up Bible college, it was 1986. But it was actually the year before, in 1985, this, the summer of 1985, I got my first job where I got paid something part-time as a youth pastor. I went down to the church. A, college, a friend of mine, a, a gal that I uh, knew in college, did some summer camps with this church and said, hey, by the way, they're looking for a youth pastor. And I knew that that was going to be my what I would do when I graduated. So I said, really? And something in me just said, check it out. So I'm like, but I have another year left and, and so forth. So it was kind of funny. I went down there. I did an interview with their board of education, their, their Christian education board. And basically they said, well, we're looking for a seminary graduate. We're looking for somebody with some years of experience. We're looking for, you know, all the things they said I didn't have. So then I said, well, listen, since I'm here anyway, maybe I could just kind of, I, I need practice talking to boards. So could I just give you my, my spiel? So they're like, yeah, sure. You know, we had coffee and donuts and we're here. So I, I kind of launch into my why they should hire me speech. And I go about 10 minutes and then they're all just staring at me and I didn't know what the stares meant. And so I get all done and the chairman, Nancy, she looks at me and she says, when can you start? <laughs> so I'm laughing because I'm thinking, oh, that's weird because I didn't think I got the job. So then I'm just talking about all the great things right. I would do. And they're like, because it didn't matter. Right, right, so, at that point, I'm yeah. Like, so anyway, I end up taking the job, long story short. But I asked them, how many kids are in the youth group currently? You know, first I started with the church. They said, well, in the church is about, about 200. That's okay. Hmm. How many kids are in the youth group? They said, um, we know of one. I said, one kid? They said, we only have one high school kid that comes to the church. They said, this is why it took us five years to hire a youth pastor. I'm like, five years? Why? Whoa. She said, because there was a faction of the church that said, why hire a youth pastor and spend money when you have no youth? The other half said, we don't have youth because we don't have a youth pastor to bring them in and help them acclimate to church and transition them in. So this went back and forth for years. Finally, when they got this 
interim pastor who I loved. He became a great mentor of mine. And he convinced them, you need to do this. So I came in. And so here's what I did. I, I just prayed like crazy. And I just said, God, I, and one day before I said yes, I, I drove down to Fairborn. I was living in my parents' house in East Hanover. I drove down to Fairlawn, and I said, I'm just going to spend an afternoon down there. So I get there around noon, and I go and park at the church. And I said, I'm just going to walk. I knew the high school was somewhere that way. You know, okay. there was a okay. friendlies I knew somewhere that way. So I walked toward the friendlies down the main road. I didn't know the town at all. And I see these, you know, friendlies and, you know, nothing going on. And I realized, wait, that's the street the high school is on. So it was Berdan. I start walking up Berdan. And it, it reminded me of John chapter 4 later on. It didn't remind me then. When the Samaritans mm. were all coming out to Jesus. Because coming down the street were over 100 high school students. And I'm like, they're coming to me. They're coming at me. You know? <laughs> what I didn't realize, they were going to the friendlies behind me. Uh. But God really spoke to me in the moment. And I thought, but they were oh, going to have man. to go through you. They were going to have to go through me. So I, I said, you know what? There's nothing in this church, small beginnings. And I just prayed, God, give us a little success. And so what I did is I went into the church files, found Boy Scout and Girl Scout brownies and Cub Scouts files, looked at the dates figured out the kids that would be in high school at that point. And I had all their phone numbers and I just started cold calling and it started off and I got one kid to get together with me for ice cream. I got another kid to get together with me for ice cream. Then together we did some things. Then they knew another kid and they came. And after about three months of doing this, we had 12 kids. And then I started getting the kids coming weekly to a youth group meeting. Then I got them coming on Sundays, not every single week, but then they started liking it. So then they started coming Sundays. Then we're doing our thing and working. And within two years, we had 85 kids in the youth group, most of whom who made a profession of faith and, and went from not believing in God to believing in God. And to me, when I read this parable later, I said, that's what happened. Small beginnings. That's amazing. It was amazing. That is amazing. That repeated itself multiple times. I went then at some point to a church in Wyckoff. And when I got there, they had 12 kids in the youth group. And I thought, okay, I came from a church, you know, With where one. we had 85. <laughs> well, we had 85 now. <laughs> now. So, but I, I saw, thought the same thing. At one place, I only had one to start with. Now... I've got 12 to start with. Can you imagine how much easier it's going to be? So it wasn't that much easier. So in doing it, that just started growing too. And to get that to grow, God really put it on my heart to do a mission trip with all the kids. And that gave birth to an organization called Touch the World. And then that gave birth to many, many kids, thousands coming through the, the years to many mission trips all over the world. And Touch the World then gave birth to a skate park, to a cafe where many people came to faith, where uh, Powerhouse Church got its launch. Then we launched that church out of that. So it just kept reproducing all along the way, not only here, but around the world. So it was amazing. And then I had the great privilege of being a part of the identical thing. We brought a team to Scotland. The church was doing not so well. They didn't have any kids. And this was the greatest thing that happened. We're in Scotland. And we brought an art, I'll call it musical arts team. They were incredible musicians. They could do different kinds of drama and painting, all this stuff, thinking we were going to be on the streets in the major, you know, populated areas, you know, drawing kids in and parents in that way. And one night, as God would have it, these five kids, these Scottish kids, walked over and said, hey, how about we play in a game of soccer, you know, football for them. And uh, I looked at my kids that were with me, and not one of them, one of them, two of them, two of them 
we're athletes. <laughs> and I thought, I don't care. So I said, sure, we'll play, but we're not going to play against you because what you don't want to do when you go on these mission trips is pit all of you against all of them. And then you have rivalries. Mm. Not good. We don't want to do that. We want to break those walls down. So they wouldn't do it unless, because they were a formed team. I said, okay. Fortunately, as God knew this would happen, if I had all athletes, this would have been a brawl. But I had artists and musicians who didn't care. They didn't care if they won. They didn't care if they lost. It didn't matter. So I had to do a crash course. Fortunately, I'd, so- I'd coach soccer at their high school. And I, I had said, okay, let's take a look at this. And, you know, I do a crash course in soccer. Here's your field. Here's your dimensions. Here's offense, defense. You're going to be this. Let's go out there and play. I knew we were going to get killed. But I told the kids anyway, here's what we're going to do. They called it tuck shops. We brought candy because this is a great way to lure the kids in, in in Scotland. And these were high school kids. And, you know, soda and candy. So I said, if you win, we're going to buy you the candy and soda. And I thought this was a very safe bet. If we win, you buy it for us. And they're like, no problem. (laughs) So we go out there to play. And they even let me and the youth pastor, Ian, uh, play on their team. Oh, boy. (laughs) So, which didn't help an awful lot. The most amazing thing happened, miraculous, in fact. As we're playing, my kids stunk. They were terrible. Almost no shots on goal. The only shots on goal were me and the youth pastor and one other guy. The one guy that was an athlete, he was a goalie for his soccer team. So he played goal. And that helped us. The other other girl, the other person was a girl who played soccer for them. And she was a great athlete. So she played striker for us. forward you know yep. takes most shots we played and played i cannot tell you how many shots they had on goal they were hitting the uprights they were getting blocked dan was making these unbelievable saves like crazy saves they're missing the goal all these things and we put in like like three goals the whole time they only put in two they lost they were so upset and our guys didn't care and they're like you, you know consoling them it's okay it's no big deal and they're like, you know, and I'm thinking this is going to be ugly. And our, my kids didn't care. And these guys were like, Ugh. I said, oh, well, you got to come inside. That was our bet. That was, all right. So they come inside and our guys were unbelievable musicians and vocalists. They started singing. These guys were gosh, right? So they, and then we did some dramas for them. Then we, we thought, this is great. What do we do now? Like we could run through all our dramas, but if we had to do this every night for three weeks. This, we're going to be repeating, right, right, you know? Right. So they're like, rematch tomorrow night. So we're like, okay. So then we're like, all right, we got to think of something else. So we started doing quizzes and all kinds of stuff. So two Sundays later, we're all in church, and we go to the church, you know, that we partnered with. Church was the fastest-growing church in Scotland with 160 people. And Scotland didn't have much. And... The pastor stood up and he comes to get me, to get me. Uh, he paused for a second, turns it over to somebody, comes and gets me. I was in the back, I think teaching something. And he says, come up front, I want you to see something. And actually, no, he called me up front from the pulpit. He didn't come down. He called me up front. He said, Jeff, come up here. And I thought he was going to, you know, I don't know, I was going to give a testimony, do something. I didn't know. So I get up there and he said, um, what do you see? So I'm looking out there and going, See a church full of people, a bunch of smiling faces. We're happy to be here. It's Sunday. That's what I see. And he says, there's something else that all the rest of us see. And I said, don't know. He said, look at the front row. And the front row, you know what? And I got it. I conflated two stories. I flew back to Scotland three weeks later. He called me to say, can you fly back here? Sorry. I did go up for testimony one time. I said, yeah. Any any reason? He goes, I don't want to tell you on the phone. So three weeks later, I fly over to Scotland. And he has me come up. I'm going to preach that Sunday. And he he introduced me, brings me up, and he says, what's different about our church? What do you see? I said, uh, I don't know. I see some new faces. He goes, take a look at the first front, front two rows. 
there were like 18 teenagers. He said, we've never had any. And he said, as a result of what the team just did, and you've been gone for three weeks, this is now our, our group of kids. Wow. And that church blossomed. Touch World started in, in uh, Scotland then. We, we um, incorporated over there. And the church has continued to boom as a result of, of that. So they then started sending kids out. And their church grew lots of kids, lots of kids. And just awesome. And that kept repeating itself. And this is the parable of the mustard seed. Mm. And this is what Jesus was trying to say to encourage him. I can look back now over my ministry years, and I can encourage lots of young pastors coming up and saying, let me tell you something. It starts with almost nothing, and God just blesses. Amen. Unbelievable. Thousands and thousands and thousands of kids that come to Christ because you had the faith to take one pitch on an interview. Yes, that's really what it all spiraled from. There, there's your yeah. mustard seed. That was the mustard seed way back then. That's exactly right. That was like this guy with no experience, no anything, barely knew, you know, something about the Bible. And yeah, I just had much faith. Just I just to... loved Jesus myself and wanted kids to know. I wanted to have eternal life. Do. That was it. Wow. So, so yeah, that was, that was pretty awesome. You know, looking at all that. So, so yeah, the, the parable uh matthew 17 20 you were going to read yes and he says again this just relates to it completely uh, because you have so little faith truly i tell you if you have faith as small as a mustard seed you can say to this mountain move from here to there and it will move nothing will be impossible for you yes faith of a mustard seed when you look at the size of a mustard seed you should go to us if you're listening to this go someplace look it up go to a store find a mustard seed go to a farmer wherever they grow them and put it in the palm of your hand. You can hardly say it. Mm -hmm. And if you had that much faith, you can move mountains. And that just tells us people doubt. The disciples doubted. Mm -hmm. Lots of people doubt. But in this case, you know, Jesus is showing them something. And take a look even at what's going to go on. And here's a picture. We're going to take a, a snapshot here. And the snapshot is going to be what happened? What did Jesus leave? And what do we have today? Now, think in those terms. So I want you to think, 2,000 years ago, when Jesus left, he left with what? What did he leave behind? He died. He rose. What did he leave behind? How many followers? Twelve. Twelve there. But probably, there, were, there were others. But probably a couple 12, hundred spread out right. all over the place. Yeah. But he put everything in the charge of these twelve. And after he ascended into heaven, and they were praying, and they were waiting at Jerusalem, Peter stands up to preach, because the Holy Spirit starts to move. Mm. And in one day, there was 120 believers there, and in one day, 3,000 joined their ranks, right? Now, right. let's take a look at where that started from. Messiah was born, it was just him. He had to collect the twelve. So it's just him. But before he was born, we know that Jesus, right, is God. He's the second mm -hmm. member of the Trinity. He was in heaven. But there were prophecies that were very small in nature. Take a take a look, and you know, at Isaiah eleven one, and maybe read that for us. Sure, sure. Um, a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. The, then, yeah, okay. the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Okay, a shoot. Well, cut. Did you ever see a stump? The tree mm -hmm. was cut down, let's say. So there was nothing left. Jesus comes. Israel's under Roman domination. There's no, you know, there's no kingdom there's a people group, there's a state of Israel, but they're, they're desiring so badly that Messiah would come and deliver them. And they missed Jesus. They missed him. Why? Because they looked at him and they said, what is he? What can he do? He's, there's no nobility. He's a commoner. In fact, here's a description of him from the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53. But before you read that, 
there's a shoot that comes up from this stump. The stump would be Israel. And a shoot comes up from the stump of Jesse. Jesse is David's father, mm-hmm. King David. So down the lineage, all the way down, there's no more kings. They were all went to exile. But a shoot comes up, just this little shoot. What's going to happen to the shoot? And it is a little one. Read Isaiah 53, verses 2 and Mm -hmm. 3. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised. And we held him in low esteem. Okay. Now you look at that and say, what's that guy going to do? Yeah. In fact, they call that passage in Isaiah the suffering servant. And they looked at that, but they knew it was a prophecy of Messiah. And so they couldn't get their head around it. And when Jesus came, they still couldn't see it. What did Jesus have that people looked to him? He had the spirit. He had. Being God. Did he have money? No, he didn't have money. He didn't have prestige. He didn't have power. Did he have pedigree? No. Well, he through King David, yes, but not. Not nobility. He wasn't nobility at right. that point. So. He, he was a commoner, but did come through the lineage of David. So did many others, mm. and there were others much more noble looking, right in physical form, sounding as they they talked. Who who liked Jesus? Who flocked to him? The poor, the destitute. The, the ones who were forlorn, the ones who had nothing. The outcasts, the, yeah. the prostitutes, right? The tax collectors, the people who thought they had no chance. And here Jesus comes to them. He came to, to those who needed a physician, mm-hmm. ones who could see their own problems. And he calls them to come and tells them, oh, no, there's hope, right? There's hope because there's a Savior. Mm. And so the, the, the people, the leadership missed this. Now, in in Daniel, there's another prophecy. The King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. Mm -hmm. And he asks his magicians, his wise men, to interpret the dream. They said, no problem. Tell us the dream. And he said, no, I want to make sure you're not, you know, jerking me around here. So you tell me the dream and then give me its interpretation. Well, they were freaking out. (laughs) Nobody has ever asked, you know, no king has ever asked their, their wise men to do this. You know, that's not standard protocol. That's not right. So he's saying, so you can't do it. So you've been lying, you know, because if you could do it, if you if you knew this stuff, you could also tell me the dream. So he sets out a command to kill all the wise men uh, and so mm-hmm. forth. Daniel was among them as a captive that was brought back from Judah. Daniel gets word of it, and he tells the captain of the guard, stop the king. Tell them I'll interpret it. And he says, give me three days, goes before God, him and his three friends. God gives him the interpretation, says the dream you had was a great image. Mm-hmm. You, King Nebuchadnezzar, are the head of gold. After you will come one not as powerful, which is like the arms of silver. So figure the shoulders into the arms, then into the abdomen of bronze, bronze yeah. into the legs of Clay. iron. Oh, right, iron. And then as it gets down, you know, more of the thighs of iron down into the legs and and feet and toes of clay and iron mixed. But then he says, but a rock that was cut out without human hands smashed the image on the feet and it crumbled and the kingdom of that rock filled the earth. That was a picture of Messiah coming when all the kingdoms of the earth are in full bore, full, you know, steam doing everything they want to do most of which i was gonna say many but it's most most of which do not follow christ mm-hmm. and it says that christ hits that image on the feet and it crumbles and his kingdom will fill the earth the kingdom of david is going to have a resurgence the messiah himself will be our king he sits enthroned today as king and this is a, a prophecy that daniel gave and what was that? It was a nothing dream. It was a rock compared to all the kingdoms of the world. And it, it crushed the image, right? Mm-hmm. So very, very powerful. So consider this description 
of the beginning, the Son of Man, think of this, of the beginning of the gospel, the Son of Man, Jesus, grew up in a despised province, which is called? Nazareth. Oh, well, Galilee. Nazareth is a town, Galilee, exactly. He did not appear in public until his 30th year. Then he taught for two or three years in neighboring villages and occasionally at Jerusalem. He made a few converts, chiefly among the poor and the unlearned, uneducated. And then falling into the hands of his enemies, he died the shameful death of crucifixion. Such and so slight was the commencement of the universal kingdom of God. It was nothing to behold. It was a mere pimple on, you know, the backside of a, a cow, right? Nothing. And yet, what happened? When you think about the tremendous growth would be lie, right? Um, it's um, it's incredible growth, right? Or it's it's beginnings, it's humble beginnings. It would just you know, the humble beginnings did not represent the growth that it would have. So you look at this and it's utterly amazing. So going down, if you look at Acts, and we're not going to go into there, we'll just kind of summarize it. When we think of the kingdom of God today, every believer you run into is part of the kingdom of God. Mm. He has the Holy Spirit living in him, or she does where two or three are gathered in his name, there he is there in their midst. Mm. We are his temple today that he dwells in. And think of this. Peter stands up on Pentecost and preaches. And you just said, how many came to faith? 3,000. 3,000 come to faith on that day. And by chapter 4, 5,000. Right? Then in Acts chapter 6, it says that the disciples continue to multiply in Jerusalem, in Acts 6, in Acts 9, it says they multiplied in Judea, um, Galilee, Samaria, and then years later, there were myriads of believers, and just in Jerusalem alone, and you can look at that in Acts 21. But even today, we see the growth and influence of the kingdom of heaven in the lives of believers all around the world. Now, we can get fooled. Because if you're a Christian today, and let's say you're 40 years old or 30 or 50, and you think of 20 years ago when the church was just humming and doing great, mm -hmm. what, do, what do you think today? Looking at it, you'd be, well, you'd be uh, sad because you'd think of like, oh man, how things have changed. Like they, Some people would say, I think a lot of people look at it and say, oh, it's like a fall in a way, like, well. Where's that, where's all that spirit? Where's all that, that life, that, that revival that was coming. And the enemies of the church glory mm. in the downfall, what they perceive yeah. to be the downfall. But while it's de declining in America and in Europe, it's expanding rapidly in South America, mm -hmm. right? Central America and in other places in ebbs and it flows. And we go through these cycles. The church needs revival, not the world around us, because revival assumes there was already life mm. that you're reviving. The church has lost its way. Many people, maybe you're listening tonight and you were, you know, in the, you know, you're in the church and yet you don't see God. You don't see the, 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 the power that we once saw. And maybe your life doesn't reflect it either. Maybe... You're right. Your life, you struggle more with sin than glory in the success. And in those cases, what is God calling us to do all through Scripture? Change. Come back to, to repent. Him. To, you know, to bring. So what should the church be praying for? Revival. But what, what does that start with? It starts with the church. Mm. It starts with the Spirit of God moving on hearts to convict of sin. means make us feel guilty bad for that sin then when sorrow comes and remorse there's repentance mm -hmm. when repentance comes then a refreshing from the holy spirit comes when that comes the church rises 
God is out in front again, and miracles begin to take place Amen. once again. Amen. And we've seen that cycle over and over. America has seen darker days, mm -hmm. for sure. Maybe maybe not as dark as today, but darn close, mm. you know, in, in its early beginnings. And many places have seen great darkness. And Jerusalem saw great darkness with many revivals after, you know, year after year or decade after decade. So a lot of great things happen in, the, in, in those places when you see God at work doing that. So you see this. And this is an encouragement to the to the disciples because Jesus was gone. They're looking around and they're thinking, okay, there's a hundred of us. What kind of kingdom is this? And Jesus said he's going to send the helper, the Holy Spirit, and he does. And as a first fruits, the Spirit convicts, and three thousand people, it says, are cut to the heart, meaning they they just felt overwhelmed by their own sin and asked Peter, what must we do? Mm. And he told him, repent, be baptized in Christ and follow him. And when you turn even one person loose, who's on fire for Christ, incredible things happen. You know, by the end of the first century, if you looked on a map, you can look this up in, in, uh, on Google. If you ask, you know, a map of Christianity in the first century, right? In at the at the turn of the century, mm -hmm. you will see Christianity with a firm grasp all the way around the coast of the Mediterranean. Just in mm -hmm. you know, figure Jesus died in around thirty three A.D. Mm -hmm. in sixty seven years, right? You had it, it was taken and many of those years under heavy uh, you know prosecution and yes, yeah, they were getting persecuted. They were getting killed but not everywhere there was peace in some places turmoil in others mm. but it was like just unbelievable when you look at this so that growth took place and you know what when the church grows it's beneficial to the world that's the idea of the birds coming and nesting because that thing grew to a sizable shrub 10 to 15 feet high it firmed up and birds could get shade they could perch on it and so it, it became useful all the way around. And that's what Christianity does. The love that believers have spills out into a world. Mm -hmm. And Jesus said, they, the world, will know that you are my disciples. By, by the love you have. For one another. For one another. That's exactly right. By your love for one another. And that's how they're going to know it. So the growth of the kingdom today, imagine this. I'll, I'll, I'll leave with something that I think is really cool. You've heard it in other terms. If you double a penny, I, you know, you ask that question to people, right? Hey, would you rather have a million dollars? I'll ask Kenny. Have you heard this, Kenny? Would you rather have a million dollars? Or would you rather me give you a penny and double it every day for 30 days? I'll give you 31 days. Like exponentially? No, well, no. Think about one penny. No, no. So the second day, you have two cents. Yeah. The third day, you have four cents. The fifth day, you have eight cents. Okay, carry that on. Now, you want a million dollars? Or you want what that comes to at the end of 30 days? Or 31 days? I'll take the penny after 30 days. Why? Because you think... It's the potential for growth. How much do you think it would be? Oh, it's something like two million or three million dollars. It's it's up there. In 30 days, it's $5,300,000. Yep. Right? Another day, you got 10 million. Wow. Okay, so imagine that that's exponential growth that's what mathematicians call exponential that's where you know things multiply at such a rapid rate so imagine this what if all of us right christians and don't even say all of us what if one church of them okay let's call it eh, let's just let's just start with one person and that person that one person um shares with 20 people and those 20 people come to faith okay now from that point on that's year one from that point on if if i if i led them to the lord i reach out and all 20 and we all bring one more person to faith the next year now you've got 40. Mm -hmm. by year five you got 640. by year 10 you have twenty thousand four hundred and eighty. 
By year 20, you have 20,971,000. By year 25, you have 1,342,177 people. Amazing. Do you imagine coming to faith? This should be an encouragement. Why? Because if the church united like the church should, and the Spirit of God united them in revival, there would be an outbreak of love, of helping hands, of Christ-likeness all across the world. Mm -hmm. And it wouldn't limit in the country it started in. It would, it would go everywhere, right? Amazing stuff. So just that's the exponential growth. That's the, the spiritual, you know, probability that you have. So we have the same seed that they had back then. What is the seed? The Holy Spirit. And the Word of God. We use the Word of God, and the Word of God never returns to God void. Mm. Empty. It always comes back after it accomplishes its mission. So if God's Word, and that's how I came to faith, I heard people speaking God's Word, and something in me just lit up. And I didn't know what it was at the time, but that's what happened. And so it was an amazing, amazing time, right? Amazing thing. And so what's needed? What's needed in people is people with vision. Think about people that you knew with vision. Can you think of any off, off the cuff? I didn't give you a heads up on oh, this. Oh, you think of like a lot of like people just in the world. You think of a lot of great world leaders, right? Like uh, people, oh, founding fathers, those people. People with vision. They knew what the country could be and started from there, from basically a couple of colonies. Yeah. Um, yeah, they, they, they had vision, and they were willing to do what? Make sacrifices. Oh, my goodness. Can you imagine? And I say this, you know, somewhat joyfully and whatever, but I'm going to say this. Can you imagine a politician today, any of them, being told, you don't get paid for this, but you have to travel by horseback, if you're John Adams, from Braintree, Massachusetts, down to Philadelphia. That's where they, mm -hmm. they were headquartered in the winter, in the summer. No roads. You know, you, some places you had them. Other times you've gone through woods, fields, paths, and it took you a long time to get there. Then you'd stay away from your family for months because when Congress met, it meant for months at a time because everybody traveled in. Right. And you couldn't get back. So your family sacrificed. You sacrificed. Right. Now, were these the low end of society? No. These were people with businesses. These were lawyers and doctors and teachers and people, you know, that had education who could have made a living, a beautiful living, wonderful living, great living, right in their home, never left. But they weren't selfish. They saw what could be mm. and they followed it. If the church would only see what could be and all of us across the land said, today's the day, repented and moved forward and shared the gospel, this country would turn around rapidly. Right? Oh, yeah. It would be unbelievable. And everywhere you see visionaries, you see that happen. And especially in Christian visionaries, because the Holy Spirit is acting there. Holy Spirit works in people too. Christian people that work uh, what we'd call a secular job. God, there's nothing wrong with those jobs because th they're needed in yeah. our society. So God's in those as well. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So, so what do we need? We need people with vision, right? And, and what does it look like to have vision? I love this illustration. Those who have the vision of Christ as expressed in his parables, he, he gave that parable to show it's going to start small, fellas, but this thing's going to grow. So it's a difference, right? It's a visionary is one who looks not at an apple and counts the seeds, but looks at the seed, a seed of an apple, and counts the apple trees and all the apples that will come with it. It's just a different way of looking, right? It's it's the bigger picture. It's to say this is what could be. Does that make sense? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Great. I thought that was a great illustration. Oh, yeah. And it's the people who say, you know what? Not only do I want to tell somebody about faith, but I'm willing to sit with them once, twice a week bring them to a church, sit and, and walk mm -hmm. through the Bible with them, answer their questions, and, you know, help them in those early stages to get their, their you know, grounding underneath them. So 
people with vision, people willing to put the kingdom of God first in their lives. Most of our founders did that. Did you know that 52 of the 55 signers of the Declaration of Independence were avid churchgoers? Mm. So they were regular attenders and avowed Christians. So you look at that, they gave their time and effort to build a country. They knew what they were building at the time. And just amazing. So we need people willing to to do that. Um, you know, the seed of the gospel will produce the fruit, but only if it falls on good soil. And, uh, you know, if we allow the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, pursuing our own dreams, um, you know, the pleasures of life to choke us out, we're not going to see those mm, things come about. That's right. Matthew 6.33, what's it say? Do you know about seeking first? Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be given unto you. He tells us the secret. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things, the clothing, the stuff that you want and need, that will be added to you if you seek God first. So very, very powerful. And then the third thing we need is people that are willing to abide in Christ, to live out mm -hmm. their faith. Yeah. And, you know, people that aren't fooling around, people that are saying, I'm serious, God is real. Jesus Christ died for me. I'm going to see him one day. Mm -hmm. Could be tomorrow. Could be today. Right. We never know. Right. But but I want to see him one day, and I want to hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Mm -hmm. Other thoughts on the parable, Mike? Hey, listen, you know what? You were just talking about revival, which is uh, which is so important. Uh, I was reading in uh, Luke 15 today about the, the prodigal son, and you said how, you know, it has to come back to life. There's Christians out there that are sort of now, they look at the world, and they're just... They're depressed, they're hurt. Listen, find that revival because God rejoices when you have that zest for him. The son who comes home and says, you know, Father, I've sinned against you. He, my son, but he celebrates, my son is dead, is now back to life. Come back to life, come back to Christ. Come back. Then you can, you know what? You'll have that fire again. He'll give it to you through the Spirit. And listen, we sow. And people come to him, be inspired about it. Be inspired. And I, I think this, you're... You pointed something out there that I think is critical for people to understand. And you talked about Christians today, many depressed, down, discouraged, for a lot of reasons. There is nothing wrong with emotional, you know, trouble sometimes. Mm -hmm. We're going to go through sadness. Mm -hmm. Somebody dies, a loss of a job, um, anxieties will come. But God promises us a joy. Joy is not happiness. Mm -hmm. We pursue happiness and we come up empty. That's not what we, we want. We need joy. Joy is what the Apostle Paul felt when he was singing hymns in prison mm -hmm. and for his faith, when he was arrested and tried, when he was being flogged, beaten, when he was shipwrecked, and he rejoiced. And you say, how do you do that? Because there's a joy. Did he like his circumstances? No. No. <laughs> no. Was he sometimes a little down? Yeah. I, but there was a joy. You know what the joy was? That he knew the end. He knew what was going to happen. In the end, you can say, I win. Yeah. Right? Because Christ died for me. And the moment I leave this earth, I'm in his presence. To live his, to live his, uh, his gain, to die as Christ, right? And when that becomes real to you, look out. Yeah. The, the world is your mission field. Yeah. And it's going to be crazy. So Amen. I think that's what we need. I think it was, you know, let this be an encouragement to all of you that are listening. Parable of the must seed, mustard seed. Don't get discouraged. If you see your church is small, you know, it looks like America's losing ground on the spiritual front. Listen, that can turn around at any time. Pray for revival. Mm. Step up to God and say, God, I'm willing. Like Isaiah, here I am, Lord, use me. Mm -hmm. And Moses, he didn't want to be used by God. <laughs> but look what happened to Moses. He yeah. delivered the Jewish nation from Pharaoh, right? Out of out of bondage into freedom. Mm -hmm. And Gideon didn't want to be used. Right. And, you know, many of them didn't want to be used. The great, 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 great men and women of faith who never would have volunteered for the job. But God knew, I'm going to, and God, here's what he said to every one of them. I am with you. Mm. That's all you need to know. So go with God because God will go with you. Amen. And that's it. Pray awesome. for us, Mike. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this this hour that we've been able to spend with everybody. 
um, Jesus just praising you and talking about you. And uh, we pray that ears and eyes are open. And if you're, you've heard this and you've been, you feel that that churning inside of you. Don't, don't shut it down and say, oh no. Listen to the calling. Listen to the calling. God loves you and He wants to be with you. So, Jesus, we pray that you'll go to these hearts, make them that's good soil land. And Lord, let us bear fruit and um, and come to you. And we just we just thank you among all things as always. Uh, and we praise you, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, everyone. And uh, hope you join us again.